All right. Well, welcome to the Monday Minute of the Hunts Backcountry Podcast. These are shorter and more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. Steve, how are you today? Good. Feels like it's been a minute since we've done one of these, but <laughs> it I think does. it's pre pre you leaving for the sheep hunt. So um, yeah. yeah. Things are good. Weather's uh getting a look at definitely a better forecast coming up. I was out hunting all last week, uh, just solo and um it's just hot, you know, just even, uh, I was kind of, I actually brought my trailer up and was just kind of pre-scouting for elk hunting this week. Uh, the Cody and the guys from born and raised outdoors are coming up and we'll be chasing elk all week. And I was just up there running around covering country, trying to find elk. And a couple of the days I ended up back at camp at like noon and they're literally like lawn chair out in the Creek. Like just, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're not supposed to be doing that in September, but it was so stinking hot. So uh, yeah, looking forward to this weather change. Hopefully that just helps, you know, keeps, keeps the animals moving more throughout the day, more active. Yeah. And you did, you had a tag too, right? You weren't just scouting. Correct. For this Correct. Yeah. No, I've, yeah, I've got the same tag. I, my goal was to get one killed so that I, it wasn't even like, you know, I could just purely help those guys and, mm-hmm. uh, not that they need help, but just, you know, be there. Um, and, uh, without having to be also hunting at the same time, but that didn't happen. It was, uh, yeah. had a couple close calls, but not, uh, yeah, I also had, it was, I had one hunt that reminded me of when you came out for rifle last year for rifle elk, where it was just like, just where did the elk go? You know, one uh-huh. of those hunts of just like, there's some sign here, but there's just no elk. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm still, I think that particular spot was the only rational thing I can come up with is there's a wolf den uh mm. in that basin because i like one basin over opening weekend i was hunting and we were into elk you know not a mile away but this one had no rubs no sign no poop like there's nothing it was just devoid of wildlife in there so really interesting mm-hmm. I, I couldn't i mean there's feed uh cover water i just had all the ingredients of um if you were sitting there e-scouting, you know, which I did, right. I'm just like looking on the maps, look, look, this area looks awesome and go in there and just nothing. But it's an important lesson to maybe guys who are newer to it, you know, wouldn't let's see a, a track or two, you know, which were just elk passing through it, but just certainly nothing was living in there. And, but the, if you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And maybe you're like, Oh, there's elk, you know, there's elk tracks here. I need to stick it out and hunt this harder. And for me, I was like, I, once i was kind of in the middle of it i couldn't wait to you know get out basically like all right how the heck do i get out of here there's no elk here like i'll move on to the next spot mm-hmm. so that's like a we talk about that quite a bit is just staying mobile and you know there's a balance between being patient but also not being foolishly patient to hunt something that's where there's no elk right um mm-hmm. but just the importance of being mobile in general till you find fresh sign till you do find elk etc and just to like call it out this is not a new area to you i mean this is an area that you've experienced with over multiple years different times of the year like different seasons etc like you have a pretty good uh knowledge base of past experience and like a a fairly high level like you and i've talked quite a bit about like piecing together a big picture of trying to figure out this country and how elk use it or how we think elk are using it etc but even then like even when it's not a new spot your focus going into last week was still to just stay super mobile and try and either find elk or find very very fresh signs so like it's not just a strategy for new areas 
yeah no this was uh there's certainly an area we've hunted a lot but i was just kind of expanding every place i hunted last week was never a place i've hunted before right i mean whether i was at multiple points i was within a mile of where we've elk hunted in the past but never on the exact same spots and the goal was just really i was just i know there's elk you could throw a dart and find elk except for this that one basin uh, <laughs> i was talking about um, in this area but i was hoping to find yeah you know, there's just naturally going to be some kind of honey holes where they seem to congregate um and i was hoping to find that and, and frankly I, I didn't um but it was good just to you know i kind of I said you know here's the unit kind of zoom out and look at the whole picture and like all right i've hunted you know drop little pins i've, I've hunted here i've hunted here i've hunted here and try to like trace back all like how what i saw for sign and what i think the animals were doing and, and just learning how this particular area the elk you know they uh, move through it um certainly is what i'm finding dur during the course of september there you know a bull could i think he could be 10 15 miles away from where he was september 1st story to september 30th um and so just why are they moving you know is it weather i still haven't figured that out exactly or is it just a natural um kind of pattern to to you know move head south basically i'm not i'm not sure but yeah as far as as far as going back you're saying staying mobile the, the almost every single hunt i did was i had my motorcycle on the back of my truck i would either drop my bike off or my truck and then ride the motorcycle around to a different access point. And I was just doing these through hunts, which I I've become a huge fan of because you're never, especially for what I was trying, my objective of just trying to cover as much country as possible and find the elk. Uh, I'm not covering the same country twice, right? Like if it's, if you know, you can kind of do, if you park at a single point that, you know, you never want to just walk straight in and straight out uh, the worst case, do a big loop so that you're, you know, finding new country but uh even better is just you know basically walk a straight line um uh, so all of them were you know between 10 and 15 miles where i'd park um and then ride around and just basically just plan a um on onyx look at the maps and go you know just plan a route through like all right this is benchy this is a good glassing point and just i was just covering country and it's one of the um I th definitely attributed to why I, I don't think I killed an elk last week because I was really mobile. I mean, I, I just didn't stop moving. Like I was covering a lot of country quickly, uh, just again, trying to find elk versus if I was in really in hunt mode, I would have slowed down quite a bit, I think, you know, and and at least as uh, on my natural solo pace is, you know, just a little bit slower. I try to be very, um, very quiet just kind of move through there unnoticed where I was just not concerned about that at all last week. I was just, you know, on a mission. Mm -hmm. You're exploring as much as you were hunting last week. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. So I was going to ask in this, what you just discussed and what we just said about exploring versus hunting probably influences this answer, but I was going to ask about how much you relied on calling at all to help locate elk or were you just like, covering country looking for sign did i guess what role did calling play for you last week yeah i think if i was really like really trying to kill an elk i would have slowed down and probably set up and called a handful of times because plenty of times i'm like getting into timber areas and there's a lot of sign um 
and nothing was bugling back, especially because of the heat. You know, it was it was really really hot midday, um, and so I think things are just bedded down, not moving. Certainly less um, prone to you know talking back to you. Um, so if I was more in hunt mode, it would have been like, oh, this area looks pretty elky. I got a good wind. Let's sit down and set up for thirty minutes and see if something comes in silently. Um, but again, I was just uh, yeah, I was certainly more similar to how we do hunt with born and raised guys, how those guys like to hunt. It's uh, they're not trying to be quiet or sneaky out there. It's for the most part, get on ridges, cover country, bugle, um, and use that. Uh, one of my favorite quotes ever was from elk nut Paul, uh, where he, he compared using your uh, bugle tube as binoculars, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's I'm in thick country. I can't see, uh, is was how he was phrasing it, and my bugle tube is my binoculars of just you, you know, if you don't use them, uh, you know, you can't find elk. Uh, like it's a pretty simple thing, right? Like use that bugle tube. Um, and I certainly was uh, every basically, you know, as uh, I've learned from like the born and raised guys and stuff, just cover you know, every time that bugle can reach new country. Uh, it's worth casting out a bugle and seeing what comes back. And so that could be walking 20 steps. You know, if you're on a ridge and you kind of like walk to the left side of the ridge and bugle down to this canyon and then 20 steps over and bugle into the next one, or, you know, even just a bench that all of a sudden opens up a little bit more country. I think I've certainly, I think there's some aspect of a bull. I don't know. I'm comparing it to like a, a turkey with like a shock gobble, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think if there's if you if they hear a bugle, but it's kind of like oh that sounds faint and it's off in the distance, then then uh, you know they just kind of hear it and disregard it. But all of a sudden, if if there's one that's like oh that's kind of louder and that that bolt seems closer than I was expecting, then they're going to bugle back at you to let you know that they're there. Um, so it's not that you know every bugle, you know, do they hear? Uh, are they responding to but sometimes if you get you know you get loud enough you get close enough then they're gonna be like oh all right yeah hey i'm over here leave me alone or i'm over here i want to fight whatever their mindset is in mm-hmm. um so i think there's a lot to that and then also one thing i've learned is i think a lot um because you'll run into this with different people um with their um how well they hear right um like I find it with some friends that are pretty basically call them deaf, right? Like um, that, you know, you're like, oh, there's a ball bugling over there. And they look at you like, what, what are you talking about? I didn't hear anything. Um, it's another, when we're, if I'm in a group, you know, there's say even two of us, you and your hunting buddy, don't stand next to each other. Like walk. I always walk like 20 yards away um, when they're about to bugle, just so there's a chance that I'm hearing something different that they don't hear. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's it's definitely good advice. Um, so I do think bulls respond a lot that you just don't ever hear. You know they've got better ears than we do, so they heard you. They respond, but you, you know nothing comes back to you. So again, just another reason to keep keep bugling a lot. And I don't see any um, unless you're maybe in really high pressured areas. I don't see any downside to bugling. You know very frequently. How was how did you gauge or see or perceive hunting pressure in this area, whether that's by encountering hunters or just seeing like, you know, rigs parked and stuff? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. There was, 
I think it's like anywhere. There was, I'd say, medium hunting pressure. But I, with the exception of one hunt, I never saw a boot track. Uh, so it just seems like I don't quite understand where people are at or hunting. Um, but yeah, I, I did not see a single boot track. So that, uh, again, I was also getting, you know, I'd say the vast majority of my time was between four and 10 miles from roads as I was doing these, you know, kind of these longer through hikes. Um, so a lot of it was kind of harder to access country, which, you know, it's obviously what I'm trying to get to. I, I that one hunt with boot tracks, like every time I'd, you know, cause I, I kind of, um, on that one did a bigger kind of loop and, uh, every time I saw the tracks, it just pissed me off, you know, because <laughs> they were somewhat fresh. Like, I, I don't yeah. know if they were that more, it was an evening hunt that day. I don't know if they were, it was that morning that they were in there, but, um, I just hate seeing that. So, um, that, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just certainly some camps and stuff in, on the, um, off the road, main road system and things like that. But I just never, never saw a single person out there or anything like that. I'm, this is like not elk specific, but I'm just somewhat curious. Like, how did it feel to be running around with a bow in your hand again? Because the last couple oh, of years, man. You've, I like, know, yeah, you've either been like dedicating a lot of your archery season to helping other people, or you've been, you know, on a Ala- like in Alaska or whatever. Like, you haven't really right. bow hunted at home in a couple of years. I haven't. Yeah, no, it felt fantastic. It took, uh, I think, back in. Oh, July. It was like early July. I literally, you know, dusted the bow off. I think, I think I talked about that in one podcast. Like I pulled the bow out, blew dust off the limbs. Time to start shooting this thing. Um, But it's amazing. You know, I think once you establish somewhat shooting a bow is like riding a bike. Like once you've established, um, you know, I guess I shot not every day, but extremely frequently over the course of 10 to 15 years, you could take a couple year break and it took, you know, it took shooting three, four days a week for three or four weeks. And then like got back to being pretty dang proficient. You know, um, I like to do when I was up there hunting, I, um, every day, um, either if I got back to camp midday or, uh, if I got one of the ramble here, but one of the, the problems with those through hikes that I was doing is you really got to understand how, how much, like how, the the time and pace that you move through country right mm-hmm. um so it's constantly like oh you know all right where am i at how much distance do i have left to get to the truck because i didn't want to end up in a new country five miles from the truck right at dark um which you know you can obviously navigate but it's it's a it's you know a lot harder to do because you just don't know if you're walking into a cliff you know it's a pretty rugged country um if you're walking into just some nasty crap or I did get, uh, I had like a mile one night and there's just downfall nightmare, uh, with the headlamp on. I mean, it's just like freaking brutal. Um, but you gotta, you gotta be able to understand how you can move through that country. And I, I, as a general rule for me on this trip, it was like one mile an hour was my pace as I was, you know, as my, that was kind of my hunting walking pace. Um, so it's like, okay, there's five miles left. It's three o'clock. I, you know, as long as I just hunt my way out, I'll, I'll end up somewhat near the truck at dark. Um, so it's cer- certainly something to pay attention to. Uh, I think it's, it's really important to track, you know, run, um, run your tracker on your Onyx or I was just running my Garmin watch the whole time. 
um, just kind of paying attention to to like all right, how how long was I hunting, how many miles did I cover, and then you got to obviously you have to factor in are my walking ridge lines, uh, am I you know going through downfall? All those obviously drastically change your pace. So yeah. Um, what was the original question? <laughs> I just no, we just like super open ended on having a bow in your hand and being back yeah. at it. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, I, oh, so yeah. So uh, the, um, couple times, you know, it's like I planned the through hike and I was like, I, I was just kind of hunting and I got back to the truck with like two hours of light left or something like that. So I, I would, um, one time I ended up back at camp early and, but it, uh, and just shot my bow, but I just do like a single shot from like 70 yards. Um, just, I, it's like, a I love doing that. Um, kind of put it, put yourself in that mindset of this is a bull I'm shooting. I've got one shot. I got to make this perfect. It's, you know, kind of like a cold bore shot, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was shooting, shooting lights out, man. Like every, every single time I was within a couple inches of that little orange dot out there at 70 yards. So, um, felt, felt really good to get the go bow back out and, and be shooting well again. Yeah. I great. think, I think I took long enough break that I forgot what target panic was. And so for the, for the current moment, yeah. I'm shooting well. <laughs> How do you fix target panic? Stop shooting for two or three years. Yeah. yeah. Come back. Yeah. I mean, that's probably actually really helpful for, for a lot yeah. of people. <laughs> it seemed to work. Yeah. So oh. I was testing out a new kind of way to carry a bow and poof, dude. Yeah. It's a certainly a product you're going to see coming out from XO and, and probably next year uh, oh, pretty awesome statement yeah. i like it yeah i was really happy with it <laughs> and i also uh yeah another product uh, that's one thing that's fun about you know being out there is i'm testing stuff constantly and um just kind of a little adaptation to carry your bugle tube those were just working unbelievably well and it uh incredibly simple uh so yeah a couple new products that testing that i was exceptionally happy with that we'll see certainly uh um Actually, this as soon as we get off this podcast this morning, I'm heading straight to the sew shop to make up probably half a dozen proto- more prototypes of them, so we can I can have all the guys testing it this week. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm biting my tongue because there's a couple other things I'd love to talk about, but it's too early to talk about yeah. <laughs> in terms of testing gear. Uh, cool. Well, and speaking of gear, I know I we mentioned on the uh, the sheep hunt podcast from last week. Um, that that will be coming and that is still coming. It's not going to be this week. It'll probably oh, yeah. be next week when I do that. So just to give folks a head up if they're wondering. But uh, yeah, it got a lot of uh, cool feedback and like congratulations and whatnot on on sharing that sheep hunt story. So again, just want to say thanks to you guys, the listeners. It's uh, it's fun to be able to share it and appreciate the the interaction and the support and stuff like that. So all right, well, more to come, I guess, on elk season. Uh, as you said, Steve, you're out hunting all week with the Born and Raised guys this week. So not only can we uh, probably chat on the podcast more, but uh, as the Born and Raised guys do, they'll be filming. So here later this fall, probably uh, some footage from what's coming this week, which will be fun. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun to... Um, I enjoy filming one or two hunts a year, right? I, I used to film everything for over the period of 10 years, and it got a little much, but... Uh, just to go out and film one and just for nothing else to go back and watch it myself and relive those memories or, uh, you know, my share it with my children or something like that. It's pretty cool. Nice. All right. Dive into a super short, easy, simple listener question. That's actually come up 
numerous times. Uh, there's more interest in this topic than I would have thought, but I'll read one of them. Uh, this guy just wrote it and said, what do you find is a good way to carry your phone? With mapping apps and photos, the need to have your phone handy during a hunt is a must. But most hunters I know also have some type of digiscoping device on their phone case, making them bulkier and cumbersome for pants pockets. I'm wondering if you guys have found any sort of solution or do anything specific to keep your phone secure yet accessible during a hunt. What do you do, Steve? My pocket. Pants um, pocket? Pants pocket, yeah. You need a pair of pants that are designed to actually hold things in the pocket. Plenty <laughs> <Like> a pair <laughs> of pants that uh, an unnamed company I was testing or wearing some pants that like uh, actually week. last week um, drove me nuts, man. The pocket was so damn tight that you can't even get your hand in there. Um, but yeah, like my my old go to Pranas, you know the pocket's plenty stretchy enough, and put the phone in there, and it's not an issue. On the digiscoping thing, yeah, this guy's a hundred percent right. You know, it's a. Uh, I wasn't on. I had a, a phone scope case on my phone, but I didn't have the adapters or anything on there. Um. Uh, and um, yeah, that certainly can be a pain in the butt. So in the past, I've um, in general, I've been running the, an FHF harness, and I can, you know, you can put it in. We've got like a little spacer mesh pocket in between your chest. I've done mm-hmm. that in the past when I had a phone scope case on there with the adapters. What a ter- oh, actually, yeah. <laughs> I said, what a terrible design um, <laughs> for phone scope. <laughs> I shouldn't rag on phone scope, but no, because um, it's, it's actually it, the one that I use. I don't. I've tried the a couple of the others. Um, yeah, for the me great personally, phone scope is like it does offer more versatility and things like that. Like it's a more modular system which makes it less streamlined, right? Because it's less specific yeah. in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. Just have the fact that you got to take the whole phone out of the case to change out to get that, you know, main adapter on and off to me. It was yeah. like that. That was a, that's a huge design flaw. Um, but I've tried the mag view and tried the all in and um, no, I just haven't like, I still, I just went back to the phone scope. Uh, the um, the other ones just didn't, the mag view didn't work for me because of the, um, you're putting it, it's perma- not permanently attached, but fixed to your spotting scope, right? The eyepiece on there. And mm-hmm. I just, how my eye is, I have to have the eye relief all the way down. Like non-existent. Um, so I, yeah. Non-existent. Uh, and having that added on there, basically, you know, it's like having the eye relief extended out, uh, and it just didn't, doesn't work for my eyes. Um, cause you get that big black ring going around the spine scope on, on, on all edges as you're looking through it. And mm-hmm. then um, I can't remember what it was with the all-in-one. I think it was um, similar, wasn't it? Like, because yeah. they have that piece. I think you had some similar. Yeah, you just have to take that piece on and off if you wanted to, to do it. Um, yeah. So you end up kind of in a similar situation as the phone scope anyways. So that's why I went back to the phone scope. But anyways. Yeah, yeah. I really like the all-in. I mean, I, I don't know that I don't want to say it's perfect by any means, but I don't have the same issue you do, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. like just to illustrate the point, if you and I switch bino, Steve, you run the cups all the way in and I run mine like three quarters out. So we just have very yeah. different profiles and in, in terms of eye relief. So for me, the Allen works great. I don't have any issues. I do like how it's fast and secure it is. Funny to me how um, some people assume that if you're not wearing glasses, you need to have those twisted all the way out. Like 
Now that's a hundred percent wrong, right? Like it's mm-hmm. so you can set the eye relief to your face. Yeah. Um, and if you have glasses, yeah, they're certainly going to be all the way in. Um, but, uh, I saw some comment on a, I think it was one of the a YouTube video Justin did for SNS archery and some guys, don't you know, you're supposed to have those all the way out, you know, and it's like, no, no, that's not true. Yeah. Um, yeah, for phone, for me, it's usually in the front pants pocket uh, as well. Again, there's definitely pants I've worn in the past where that's been extremely frustrating, either from a comfort perspective, but usually more so just from an access perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think with with pants that I prefer, I like to keep my phone in that front pocket. I've certainly run it in um, a hip belt pouch on our pack, um, which works well. Um, I tend to do that more with if I have that all-in adapter installed, just because it it is a little bit bulkier and easier to get caught and in, in uh, on the pants, like as you're getting it in and out. So sometimes a hip belt pouch, and then sometimes I just notice it's weather dependent. So like a on the sheep hunt, mm. I was actually doing a lot more of uh, what you talked about, Steve, with having it in the harness uh, between the bino harness and the chest, um, and that little pocket in the back, and that was like in large part because. I was wearing rain pants a lot and wanted the zippers, you know, I couldn't access my, my regular pants. My rain pants don't have a pocket for my phone. Um, I also didn't want it in the hip belt pouch cause I was keeping that more open for other things. And then again, it wasn't as weather protected. So I was tending to keep my phone in that, uh, bino harness and then just obviously had my rain jacket on a lot. So yeah, I would say quick access and comfort. How I prefer to use it is the pants pocket. Occasionally, it'll be a hip belt pouch. And then on the sheep hunt, for example, just because the weather was so poor with adding extra protection, but also <clears throat> losing quick access because of rain gear, I was keeping it in the bino harness. So, hmm. yeah, there's a lot. I see, you know, there's obviously phone holders. There's a lot of specific stuff. Um, on our new K4, for example, I've seen guys run in molly-based phone holders on that rear angled like where the nalgene goes but on the opposite side of an nalgene um there's lots of ways to do it but i just like i feel like a lot of guys dive into uh, specific pouches and add-ons and doodads and this and that and the other thing without like having a great reason um and <laughs> i would just say like maybe keep a low profile by default like try your pants pocket like i know it's very basic and original but maybe it's gonna work great for you and then if it doesn't like go to something like don't automatically assume you need a quote-unquote phone holder or it has to be you know in some other place like sometimes the easiest answer is the best answer yeah no i that's i prefer i said my cell phone's in my left pocket my range finders in my right pocket um because i don't want um more on my range finder i you you don't want that um with the pack right because there's certainly times i'm going to take the pack off um mm-hmm. and then you know make a move on an animal or something like that and i want that with me so whether you have that in a bino harness which i just don't like getting a getting your bino harness rig just too big and bulky so then i said i just run that in my um in my pocket although that did <laughs> as i say that that bit me in the ass when on my elk hunt. i had a um a bull that i was chasing and uh I bugled right on the, it was like this, he was in this little goalie and I bugled on the other side of this like, you know, 10 foot ridge um, to kind of sound further away. And then I scrambled up to the top of it real quick. Um, and I saw his antlers, you know, out there like a hundred yards. And I, um, I think I ranged and I set my range finder down 
And then I was like, oh, I'm going to move over. Um, and I scrambled over like five five more yards to get closer to, and as he was coming in. And then I went to like ra- look for my range and I'd left it sitting on the ground. So I like, <laughs> scurry back real quick, you know, grab my range rider, come back. And then I never, uh, that bull just hung up at 80 yards. And I was like in a super burn open. There's nothing I could do about it, but that did bite me in the ass. So maybe having something fixed to your bite harness is a better idea. But again, <laughs> I just hate, well, especially when it's hot last week. I hate having just like this freaking giant baby Bjorn pack on your chest that's just hot and sweaty and. So I try to yeah. keep that as low profile as possible. Yeah. I, on my sheep hunt, we were, you know, we got to the sheep after uh, killing it. And as I said, we took our time and sat with it for a bit and just got the packs ready, got a snack, like soaked in the moment, eventually obviously broke it down, got all the packs loaded up. And I was just doing that final, like we were getting ready to load up and walk away. And it was like, all right, did I leave anything sitting out? Do I have everything? And you know, is stuff where I need it to be for the pack out and like all that stuff, which again, think through those things, right? Like if you're getting ready to start a pack out, do you have water accessible? Do you have a snack accessible? Do you have what you need in a spot that's not terrible, right? As you're going in the pack. Mm-hmm. But as I was doing that mental checklist, I was like, where's my rangefinder? And I realized I left it back where I shot from. And I was so obviously really, really glad I remembered it because it's not an inexpensive rangefinder. Um but I was like, oh man, I don't know where my rangefinder's at. I bet I left it where I shot. And so uh, I hiked back over there and sure enough, it was sitting right there. But man, I was so <laughs> glad that I le- that I remembered that at the last minute. But even oh, then, geez. like I left it, but I was thinking through that because I had the same thought as you just said, Steve, like sometimes it's nice to have it attached or whatever. But I was running that situation back through my mind and it was like, even if I would have had a rangefinder pouch in my bino harness, because I have done that in the past and I'm not necessarily opposed to it um but i was like in that situation i totally would have taken the rangefinder completely out because i was kind of prone and i was having to shift um Mm, the harness with the way i was shooting plus as i was prone i was reducing movement because i was a little bit exposed and i wanted to be able to range you know a time or two um without making big movements so i totally would have had it out and on the ground and next to me even if originally it would have been tethered or you know, in a pouch. So it probably would have happened either way. But anyway, yeah, totally left the rangefinder, but glad I remembered. <laughs> Which, P.S., I was running that Revic BR4 rangefinder again. I had that on our bear mm-hmm. hunt this spring. On the bear hunt. That thing's yeah. freaking awesome. Been happy really, with it. Really nice. like that rangefinder. Yeah. Nice. All right. I saw, um, uh, yeah, the ELs came out with a, or Swirl came out with a EL range that's in a like a 32, like a compact one. I'm super curious to get my hands on those and test that out. Yeah, um, yeah. I did uh, another gear note. This hunt, I ran. I bought Gore-Tex socks like two years ago, and I've never actually used them. I kind of like I remember put them on, walked around the house. And, eh, I don't know. Um, I I ran those on two of the hunts just with my uh those topo things i use the topo athletic they're called the mm-hmm. uh, mountain racer shoe that i used for the death hike this year you know just not no gore-tex nothing and um ran gore-tex socks with those dude i was really happy with them even as hot as it was in the middle of the day like i think they're that combination is certainly less sweaty than a leather boot um mm. it was pretty freaking sweet man i'm gonna keep playing with it um i don't know how they do you know, in real cold temps, cause you're still getting that like water and, you know, there's still the shoes wet, the, 
there's water kind of absorbed on the outside of the sock. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as what I was hunting in, you know, cause it was the mornings were certainly like, you know, a lot of wet grass that you're walking through. And if you're, you know, if you didn't have Gore-Tex or something, you'd have pretty wet feet just from that. And then lots of the country's just super wet as far as like little seeps and marshy things and wallows and stuff like that. So you're just kind of jumping around water all the time. But I was um, certainly more testing to be done there because I was very impressed with it. Which do you know which ones you have? Uh, Showers Pass is the company. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little like my hesitation was they're a little bit thicker. They're certainly like a yes. thick wool sock. Yep. Um, and I, I have I the got seal the, skins and they're similar. Yeah. I got the thinnest ones they had. Um, I actually have two pairs. One that's like kind of, kind of like, oh, that's pretty thick. And another one that's like just slightly th- their thinnest ones, which isn't that much different. Um, but again, as long as my um, those topo shoes have a lot of room inside. You kind of need a thicker sock anyway. And that just worked fantastic. If you had a pretty tight fitting, um, you know, boot or shoe, then that wouldn't work very well. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the more testing to be done. Like I said, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised with, um, you know I, know, I know they're waterproof. It's just what's the, you know, what are the cons to running that with, you know, having wet shoes all the time. And I certainly think it would depend on, the type of shoe and and how quick drying it is and the like the amount of foam inside of it those topo shoes have like a lot of foam around the ankle which you know it's just going to stay wet for a while mm-hmm. but i remember my solomon um those cross hikes i i ran for a couple seasons that i was able to like you like walk through a creek with those things um and then you know halfway up the hill they're completely dry again because there's just there's just no fabric there that's going to hold moisture for any duration of time it's going to dry out really quick yeah. I'm surprised that in that heat of last week, they didn't drive you nuts. That's promising. Well, I mean, I said there was, I, <laughs> I had like, I don't know, um, like 15 pairs of boots and shoes up there. That's an exaggeration, <laughs> but probably like six or seven. Um, I was going to say, it's only an exaggeration <laughs> it was, by a small it was, portion. It, yeah. It was, it was just a perfect opportunity for me to, because I was, you know, basically hunting from the trailer to, you know, it's not like a backpack hunt where you got to pick something and run with it for a week. Um, I was able to every single hunt kind of, try different combinations of things and um some of the you know gore-tex boots i had um you know there's certainly leather and gore-tex and just don't breathe at all so this was uh, a way better combination than than that was i know you've worn two different boots on hikes test hikes have you ever actually done it on like a day of hunting in the field no 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 (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I like I'll how you're do... so bold. You're like, oh god, no! Like that's ridiculous. Uh, I would have thought crazy. you were done it. No, no. Uh, I did. You know, I'll do different insoles. Um, yes, yeah, certainly, yeah, absolutely. Because um, there's, uh, I got the um, Hanvog Trek Lights. It's a new boot that came out with. I don't even know if it's on Hanvog's USA website yet. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been trying to find the right insole sock combination for those because they certainly have some potential for. Um, you know, as much as I hate a standard boot, um, there's just applications where they're needed late, late season, really cold, really wet hunts. Right. So I'm uh, still continuing trying to find something that's going to work for me. And those have a pretty, pretty good promise, but I've been running different insoles and socks constantly, um, trying to find that the right combination that works for me. And it's, it's a fairly interesting process to the, you know, you run two different insoles into a hike and like it, you know, uh, one mile into it, you're like, oh, this 
the one on my right foot's way better. And then like a mile later, like, oh, never mind. The one on the left's way better. And it's interesting how it kind of shifts around, you know, basically mm-hmm. like there's no, just like any single review you see out there, unless it's based off of like, you know, actual real in the field use with comparisons, they're completely worthless. Um, you know, someone grabs a, gets a new spotting scope and, ah, oh, this is the best thing ever. And it's like, well, did you actually compare it to something else? Cause I, I can promise you that you have to do that in order to get an actual evaluation for what you're looking through. Yeah. I've done that with insoles quite a bit and I've, I try and do it, uh, as blind as possible. Like I, it, it's, if I'm running mm-hmm. like one on the left and one on the right, a lot of times I'll just, I'll like kind of grab it the night before try and with as least thought as possible put it in my boots and then the next morning like if i'm hiking early like not pay attention and Mm -hmm. most of the time i'm doing my hikes really early in the morning i'm like half asleep when i'm getting my boots on and whatnot so it's pretty easy for me to forget like i don't know what i did last night or you know i purposely again try to not think of it but um again that's not like totally blind but it has been super interesting to go on a two three hour hike and kind of in the back of my mind like over the course of that time go man which one is this which one is that and it's not till after the hike's over you actually like look and see which insole is which which is uh it's it's fun to do that mm-hmm. yeah absolutely all right last question we'll hit today and once again guys if you have any questions for us uh you can always send an email to podcast at xomountaingear.com you can look for a link in the show description that says leave a message uh, and definitely feel free to do that pretty much on any topic, gear, anything hunting related. We'd love to get it on the list to chat through. This one, this guy wrote in and said, I'm headed out on a backpack archery elk hunt this month. My buddy offered to drive three plus hours and come in to help me pack out if I need the help after arrowing a bull. My question is, what is an appropriate thank you for such a generous offer? It's a long drive for him, a longer hike in potentially. And he's taking time away from work and family and many other obligations to come and help me if I need it. So what is a great way to give him thanks beyond just giving him a high five or maybe filling up his truck tank for the drive back? I thought that that was a cool thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. All things come to mind. Like the, the one that comes to mind is which is like super easy is he's coming to help you pack out an elk uh, which is the work involved to get the meat out of the backcountry. So like, maybe it's like, Hey man, like, can you use any of this meat? Can you take it? I mean, maybe he's a hunter and doesn't need it. Uh, maybe he's stocked up from last year has already filled tags this year, but that's like just the easy button, right? Like you came and did work to help me get meat out of the backcountry. Some of this meat should be yours because you worked for it. You earned it, et cetera. So that's one, um, as the guy said, like helping to fill up his tank, not only for the way back, but maybe that's after the fact. You send him cash, gift cards, whatever. Um, maybe you just know he's a hunter who's into a certain thing. You can get him a, you know, maybe he's an XO pack fan. You could buy him an XO gift card. I don't know, something like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I would just say like beyond stuff and value, like a personal thank you i think just does go a long way and especially if it's even not just then but maybe it's after the fact like maybe send them a card like handwrite them a note like just to let them know that even weeks or months later like you still appreciate it you're super genuine and like even recognizing the fact that you know 
he gave up time, right? Like from work and family and whatever. So I just think expressing that goes a long way no matter what. Obviously, if you know he's into, I don't know, bourbon, right? Like a nice bottle. Like just, you know, anything I think is any effort to like show genuine appreciation, I would hope would be uh, pretty, pretty well received. So I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of other ideas. Anything else combined for you, Steve? my answer is kind of abrasive but don't be a wuss and just pack it out yourself um <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just what, like that's just where my head goes to like i would never unless it was i i don't know i can't imagine a pack out that'd be so miserable that i wouldn't just do it myself like i'm not going to ask a buddy to drive you know six hours of driving um to I mean, come if help you were, me something because i would have packed it out in that time like yeah yeah if you were going to uh, do that you probably would have done it on your snowy solo elk hunt last fall yeah yeah i i think i just have a personal motto of like i try to be um as least uh i try to i don't ask for something unless i truly really need it right um like uh last time we moved our house like i moved the entire house by myself until there was like the refrigerator and um a co- like the big couches and stuff that's like those are the very last things that I, I called a buddy and and I had someone come over and help me, but I'm not like a lot of people just naturally just ask for help really quickly um, with our like, well, you know what? Like this is a little hard work, but I can do this myself. So um, I don't ask for it unless I really need it. And it's like, I mean, we talk all the time how we appreciate like the harder on is the harder the pack out, the more you're going to remember it. So I just kind of relish in that of, um, mm-hmm. you know, and especially if you're someone who, like works out frequently like what are you going to go home rest for a day or two and then go back to working out like why not just get your workout in while you're out there packing meat so um yeah that's that's my go-to default is like i'm just going to do this myself and um <laughs> i take pride and i guess i just take a lot of pride in that um yeah saying saying that i did it myself it's an accomplishment yeah so try that first but if you i mean if you know you're if you're a wuss physical... be a generous one yeah. that, that, okay <laughs> <Yeah>. that's right <laughs> if you know your physical limitations or you know you're just like there's just no way you're gonna be able to do this or the, the country you know that you killed something not, like because if you're hunting maybe so, yeah, if you're hunting solo you shouldn't you should never put yourself in a situation where you kill something that you can't right get it out in my right. opinion right like if i'm that whole hunt like last week i'm on, you know every everything's based around like okay i am solo so i i there is some restrictions here on where i could go and kill an elk right and that's always in my mind of um you just have to plan that stuff out with you know deer and stuff it's a lot less so you can one trip a buck out of just about anywhere but with elk you're obviously four four trips or more um and mm-hmm. you have to be constantly thinking about it like okay where's if i killed something here what's this look like how's this going to work out um so Again, you shouldn't ever kill something so because what if he killed it and then his buddy like something came up and he couldn't come and right, it is hot yep. and now he can't like you can't um you can't factor that in. Um like it's gotta be I'm alone, I kill this, I have to get it out uh in a timely manner, depending on the weather, right? So mm-hmm. no, that's a yeah, great point. Sorry. That, 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 was, that was my <laughs> not, yeah. not so PC answer. Just do it yourself. <laughs> no, I yeah, I mean whether you're yeah, I just like that it is worth mentioning. Like, don't put yourself in a situation where you have to have help. Like, if if you want, like, if you, there's a buddy who's wanting to help you or if you want to share the camaraderie or whatever, like, great. But yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, don't put yourself in a situation where that's required. Because as you said, even if the offer's been made, maybe it's not going to be possible when the time comes. 
All right. Well, guys, once again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, hope you're enjoying your September, getting out in the field a whole bunch. If you have a story to share, any photos to share, anything like that, send us an email to podcast at XM Mountain Gear. It's also where you can submit questions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. And then just if you haven't yet, hit subscribe or follow in whatever podcast app that you're using so that you receive all future episodes for free. And we'll talk to you soon.